Welcome to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm McLean Baxley here with Cole Ferguson. That's me. And Connor Beeler. How's it going, guys? And we would like to wish you all a happy Cinco de Mayo. It is May 5th. For those who celebrate and don't celebrate, it is Cinco de Mayo. We're here ready to talk some sports, talk some NBA, which is also heating up just as your salsa is. <laughs> <laughs> some festive talk, McLean. Yeah, NBA is getting exciting. We're coming down... Um, it, we're, we're getting into the, the semis, and we're getting knee-deep into the thick of it. And nothing's really that surprising thus far, I think. We kind of all – some of us, more than others, might not have hoped for it, but the Cavs are kind of handily taking over uh, the series with them and the Raptors. Um, Boston is – you know, though last night they did have a, a loss to the Wizards, so now the series is 2-1, but they're still looking strong, and they're getting some Ws. Um, they're still looking strong against the Wizards. And we're seeing Golden State um, still dominate for the most part. Uh, it's just really, it's just it's it's just looking like a looking like how we expected the the series that um, I will say is kind of a toss up and to be expected just as we thought. The Spurs and the Rockets. It's going to be a very good series. What do you guys think about that one? Yeah, you know, Cole, I agree with what you said regarding the whole Wizards Celtics. Also agreed with what you said regarding the Cavs and going against what McLean was hoping for. But I'm liking what's happening with San Antonio right now and the Houston Rockets solely because of the fact that it is tied 1-1 going into this weekend. And it could be very exciting with the whole Tony Parker injury and how the Spurs can react to that, but also how the Rockets can sort of take advantage of it. It's kind of sad for the Spurs they're a very likable team just from an outside perspective solely because they don't do very much wrong as from a fan's perspective. And so seeing them fail isn't very happy to watch as a fan, but it will be exciting to see how the Rockets can take advantage of the point guard being out for the uh, Spurs. So you think, what's your prediction right now? Do you think that Tony Parker being out has is, is a detriment to the Spurs in this series against the Rockets? Do you think it's that big of a deal or do you think they're able to recuperate and still can be competitive in the series. Oh, I think that it's definitely a detriment in game three, solely because they are playing in Houston. They've only had a day to react to their star point guard, who's been their point guard for last decade and a half. See, Forever, yeah, like, basically. Yeah. And so him going down and them having a day to prepare for it could be a little detrimental. Game three could be a little bit of a blowout, but I think that they get over it. But I just don't know if it's enough of them getting over it for them to compete. You see, I think Parker's out for the rest of the playoffs, so that means even if they do get out of the series, they're going to be dominated. Both teams, I think, will be dominated by Golden State in the conference finals. So the, the, like, we've been saying this all season, or all se- um, playoffs, rather, how you know you saw it with the Westbrook versus Harden, and then now you're seeing it now with the Spurs versus the Rockets, how... Ultimately, we're just going to go back and the team's going to lose to Golden State in the next round. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be fun basketball to watch, but I think in, in you know long term, I don't think it really matters who wins this one. I think either team at this point has no chance, really, I think, at at, uh, at beating Golden State. They just look so strong. And speaking of that, uh, 
the Golden State-Utah series. I said this wasn't surprising, and it's true. We, we knew Golden State's Golden State, but I really thought that the Utah Jazz were going to do a little bit better than this. You know, I really did too, Cole. But if you look at Tuesday night's game, it's not that they were, like, demolished. It was only a 12-point loss, which we've seen the Warriors do a heck of a lot worse in Game 1 at home to teams. So it's not something that is detrimental and just puts them off of the series after Game 1. It really depends on how uh, the uh, Warriors react after Game 2 and how they go into the weekend. But I think that the Jazz still have a chance to make it maybe a five-game, six-game series. But that's still kind of a stretch. I agree. I'll tell you this, though. Looking at the box score from Tuesday night's game, you've got Gordon Hayward shooting four for 15, only 12 points on the night. Rudy Gobert, five for seven, 13 points. Not that, honestly, that's the best on, you know, on the night. And then Grant Hill, um, or George Hill. He's been gone for a bit. Yeah, George Hill going uh, three for nine from field goal range and seven points on the night. Those kind of numbers don't beat the Golden State Warriors. So I think from those three specifically, they're kind of they're, they're superstars, the guys who kind of lead their team. They're going to need a bigger impact from those to even make a dent, I think, in, in this superstar team like the Golden State Warriors are. And I think one thing that we forgot too is how well the Warriors play defense that we're really seeing in this series. Um, I mean, it's just, it's tough, and they're locking in on it, and it's it's something that the Warriors aren't typically known for. You think Warriors, you think, uh, you know, plethora of three-pointers and shooting and points and scoring and doing all this crazy stuff, but you don't often think about their defense, but they do, and I've been saying this for a long time. They have one of the best defenses in the league, no doubt. I think that they're strong, and they have the kind of perimeter shutdown that is able to, you know, force them into the paint and try to shoot the ball there. But then they've got players like Kevin Durant and Draymond Green to lock it up down low. So I think they really have a very versatile and consistent defense, which is very underrated. And I think that that's making a huge impact in this series right here that the Jazz just aren't competitive with. Well, you know, uh, one thing that I'm thinking about is James Harden, you know, adding to his – MVP resume. He's had a pretty good playoffs in these past two games. Also, you know, in first game five, the first game, first five games of the playoffs against Oklahoma City. But he he's just adding to that MVP caliber resume and kind of, oh, what what's Russell Westbrook doing in the second round? Nothing. Sitting at home. Sitting at home watching James Harden going. But here's the thing. Russell Westbrook no longer has any opportunity to mess up. James Harden has a bad game, that's the that's the recency bias, the lasting impact on all the voters. The last thing you think about with Russell Westbrook is that 40-point triple-double game that he had in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, well, never really you know. know you really you know. mentioned James Harden and him going off the whole Westbrook versus Harden argument and all of that, but I think the real story to take away from uh, the last game between the Spurs and the Rockets was actually the Kawhi Leonard and James Harden matchup because of James Harden as we all know is a superstar on the court and is basically legendary when he has the ball in his hands but when uh, Kawhi Leonard was on him he just completely it was like kryptonite to Superman out there and he uh, was one of seven on shots that he was defended by Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard had zero fouls 
when he was guarding James Harden. So I think that's kind of remarkable. The fact that Kawhi Leonard could single-handedly shut down James Harden could be a long-term effect on this series. It will be interesting to see. Also, kind of on the uh, something to cool down, maybe your salsa that you've been having today is some uh, <laughs> some nice limes or something on the uh, and some tortillas. It's like similar to how the ice is cooling down oh in the God. National Hockey League playoffs that have been going on the past few weeks. <laughs> I was weeks. trying to think about where you were going with that as you were saying it. What's it, where is he going? With we, this? We're going to NHL. We're going right. to NHL playoffs. Very exciting. Every series pretty much is exciting except for, of course, the Blue series. But you know, you got right now after uh, Thursday night, you got the Rangers and Ottawa back to tied. You know, both teams won. At home, both games at home. Uh, you know, Ottawa won their first two games in Ottawa, and then New York won two games, both four to four to one over the Senators in game three and four. So that's exciting. Not, I mean, not for me. Think about this: Ottawa's got the home uh, home home ice advantage here. They go to seven games. If they keep winning at home. That means Ottawa's winning this. Got to get one on the road. Got to steal I one. I know. Let's go, Rangers. Blue shirts. Let's go, baby. Look at you knowing the whole team saying and everything, Cole. That's right, dude. I'm a hockey guy. What Con- can I say? Connor, your team series, however, is um, very nice, except for your captain is out. Yeah, you know, as I've mentioned on every single time that we've talked about hockey, is the fact that the Penguins are basically stumbling through this playoffs. Going into the playoffs, Chris Letang went out, Matt Murray went out, and then now Sidney Crosby, who is one of the most... Uh, What's uh, head injury prone, concussion prone players in the mm-hmm. NHL? Over the last eight years, it feels like every other time that he's playing really well, he's having a head injury. So that's kind of sad. But but he's also the best player in the world. Exactly. So you know when you are the best player in the world, you tend to get hit a little more. But it feels pretty good going into uh, game five of the series. The Pens are up three one. Could look to close it out this weekend, but. It could be a little detrimental to them. Sid did skate today, and so maybe that turns out to be for the best, and Sid comes out on a Saturday night, and they get the win in Game 5, and then they get some rest going into the Eastern Finals, but could be exciting if Sidney Crosby is out. Do you think, as a uh, Penguins fan, would you want him to play in these next two or three games? Because you're up 3-1. And really, the only team that blows a three-one lead is Cleveland Indians and Golden State Warriors. Do you think you would just rely on the rest of your guys who won Game Four without Crosby? Would you just trust them to one of those three games is at home? Uh, game Six will be back in Pittsburgh. Would you just trust your team and not even try to risk uh, Crosby going on the ice? Just let him rest till the next series. I think that's smart. Well, you know, it's hockey, and as we all know in hockey, they tend to not own up to their injuries. So I could see him going out there. Amen. They are. Whenever they tear an ACL, they say a lower leg injury, and that's all we ever know. They just happen to be oh, out but, but then you have guys in the NBA who, when the AC breaks, they complain for a game or two. You're right. That's what's so good about hockey. But, you know, I trust. <laughs> just what's bad about LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get into that, Cole. I trust <laughs> the Penguins to be able to shut out the Capitals in this in one of the next two games, and I feel like they could get the win without Sydney, but I would just like his ability to be out there, even if he only plays for the first five minutes of the first period and maybe two minutes of the second here or there. Just the ability to have him on the bench would be worth it to me. 
and I think that that could be key. And then we have, you know, Connor Sheary and Hornquist and all the other players come out, get a couple goals. Evgeny Malkin comes out, shows up, gets a couple goals here or there. They can get the win in this series, but I think that having Sydney's presence would be a big deal for the Penguins. Well, moving on to the Western Conference, uh, another exciting game tied, that's t- or series that's tied 2-2 two to two, is the Anaheim Ducks versus the Edmonton Oilers. Like I said, tied 2-2. Two two. Again, both teams won. Actually, they both won on the road. The Oilers won both games in Anaheim, and then the Ducks won both games in, in Canada. This is an exciting series. Um, both, you know, three out of the four games, high-scoring affairs. It's been a fun one to watch. Yeah, you know, McLean, this Edmonton-Anaheim series is the one exciting series at this point in the Stanley Cup playoffs as they are tied 2-2 going into Game 5. Anaheim has come back from being down 2-0 starting off this series, and it could make for an exciting one that could go to 7, whereas all the other series are looking like they could end in 5 or 6. Except, uh, you know, the Ottawa Ranger, or Ottawa versus uh, the Rangers series, 2-2 as well. But I agree, Connor. You know what? That one's not going to be an exciting one because... Uh, the Rangers are going to win the next two wins. So uh, yeah, you're right, Cole. Yeah, exactly. So it's not going to be a exciting one. My team, however, the only one that's kind of in the hot seat um, on the ice um, about all three of these is uh, St. Louis Blues, down 3-1, lost one game in... Uh, Smashville. Sm- lost St. two Louis games in, in Smashville, which Connor's been to, and they lost one, <laughs> the opening game, uh, in St. Louis. Going back to St. Louis for game five, Friday night, tonight. But uh, I don't know. I'm not really feeling good. Not really feeling good. Uh, Got to win three in a row. Two of those are at home if we if we force them, but can't lose another game. And um, you know, Yeo, our coach, I think he uh, gets them together. Um, Tarasenko has definitely been stepping up these past couple of games, especially in the game two at home. So he's gonna need to continue that playing really well, and hopefully we'll win three. Go through, um, you know, go through all three and force game seven or force next round against you know, either you know, Edmonton or Anaheim. So, uh, so with that, that's going to end our hockey talk for this episode. We're now going to bring on a very special interview, very Cinco de Mayo, very holiday oriented, very uh, not holiday oriented at all. But it's an exciting <laughs> interview with Craig Hodges. Enjoy. Alrighty, so we are here with Craig Hodges, two-time NBA champion as a player, two-time NBA champion as a coach, three-time three-point contest champion. How are you doing today, Mr. Hodges? I'm doing fine. Thanks for the invite, man. Appreciate you. Well, we appreciate having you on the show. Um, so, we just got to, you know, you've had uh, an experience and a history uh, in the professional basketball league. Um really unlike a lot of other players in over the course of time. So it's really interesting to really sit down with you and ask, pick your brain about some of the things you've experienced and went through and what you're seeing in the league now. And just to start that off, um, the your visit to the White House, which has become kind of just really famous in the, the span of you know your career and I think in the NBA as a whole, um, in this idea of um, athlete activism. So in, right. in recent years, we've seen players uh, using the championship visits to the White House as a platform, an opportunity to kind of make their voices heard and their presence known um, in, their, mm-hmm. in their personal beliefs and stuff like that. We saw it with Devin McCord right. and Martellus Bennett this year with the Patriots. They skipped out with, you know, Donald Trump in there and all that. And Jake Arrieta, too, when the Cubs um, won the championship. Right. So how do you <clears> think that this 
athletes now doing this now, and it seems to be almost accepted differently than when you did it. Why do you think that is and how that's changed when what you well, you know, yeah, first of all, once again, I want to thank God for giving us a chance to to come across the airways and that the message has to be you know precise and and clear with transparency. So for me, when I had a chance to go to the White House, I was going in the spirit of knowing that. It wasn't just me, you know, I was blessed to have grown up in Chicago Heights, Illinois. My family were part of the civil rights movement. I had a chance to go away to school at Long Beach State and study about the movement. So it was almost uh, imperative for me when I went to the White House to make sure that I just didn't go. You know, I was going as a champion, but I was going as a champion on behalf of people who wouldn't get ever, ever get a chance to go to the White House mm-hmm. and have their issues or, or their concerns voiced. And for me, I was going on behalf of more than just me, man, going on behalf of poor people, people who felt disenfranchised from the whole thing and, and knowing that for me, growing up where I grew up, I wouldn't get a chance to go to the White House, man, being totally honest, mm-hmm. unless I was a champion. And, and in that spirit... Is the spirit that I went in and knowing that the cultural background of my heritage is African-American. I wore a cultural garment that was reflective of the occasion. And, and I wrote a letter, something that I've been doing since I was elementary school, to the politicians who had stature. So for me to go to the White House and have the same chance to do that to President Bush at that time was both an honor and a privilege. Mm-hmm. What when you had that decision to go to to actually go to the White House, whereas you know your teammates Jordan um, and a few other guys, when they were, while they didn't go, um, when you went with the intention of delivering the letter to the press secretary of uh, President H. W. Bush, um, what motivated you to go rather than to just skip out to of going to the White House? Well, you know, I, everybody has their own choices, man, and I think that's the beauty of what's happening now is that. When I did it in 1991, you know, I think we were just starting to really get into the tech age. Mm -hmm. And I think now with the social media content, with the, you know, the security blanket of a social media network, you know, players may have a million people following them. So they're able to get their voices heard probably more rapidly and more consistently. And I think that can often keep up the conversation. I heard LeBron speak the other night about the incident that went on with the player in 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 Boston and, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he's speaking about it, like he said, you know, we're not sure how much will get done, but the fact that the conversation is going on is something that is movement. And we have to continue the conversation, but within the context of that conversation has to be solutions. And that was what my letter was about, was that it was solution-based, that, you know, the things like with my book, my book will be an economic vehicle to turn those resources back over to the community in terms of jobs and programs. So it's things that we can do individually, and that and those are choices that we have to make as individual athletes. So, you know, this actually goes perfectly into our next question about, you know, you've seen this with, Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, you know, kneeling during the national anthem. You've seen this with NBA NBA players at the ESPYs this past year, and you know, Carmelo Anthony being very vocal with the Black Lives Matter movement. So it seems right. like you were kind of like 20, 30 years early to right, where where it is now. Not only just in that, but like your style of play and your game, and, and on the court and off the court, really, it seemed like you were almost ahead of the times as far as 
like the athletic activism and, you know, on the court and the style of basketball you play. So looking back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. What kind of, uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? What do you, what do you see is going on right now? I love it. I love what I see happening, man. I love the fact that, that Colin has taken a, a leadership position and is dovetailed in so many ways. And I think, you know, athletes, Carmelo, what D. Wade and them did at the SBs, all of that is part of a organic thing that's going on, man. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, uh, it couldn't be planned. I think every, you know, when we look at how movements start, they happen from action. You know, some sort of act happened, and then people become energized by the result of whether it was, uh, police brutality or whether it's um, Donald Sterling, <laughs> you know, so there are different, there are different uh, trigger points. And I think now with the athletes that are, that have, you know, you're getting a chance to go to some of the greatest universities, you're getting a chance to be around some of the most sophisticated people on earth and you're getting a chance to formulate opinions and, and policies on your own that oftentimes don't coincide with, whether it's the management, whether it's the leagues that we're playing for, right. or whether it's just the, the old system of white supremacy racism that, that hits you. So, you know, there are things in this country that need to be discussed and need to be acted upon in order to bring about solutions for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what I love about social media, is that now you have a groundswell of people from all different cultures, races, and backgrounds, and economics that have formulated opinion based on what's right. And I think that's a long time coming. So I see I see progress and I see progress in not just incremental levels, but the fact that, you know, the discussion is going on on across multi multiple media networks and, and platforms shows that it's something happening there. Mm-hmm. So I mean as far as on the court goes, looking back, you know, at your game and your your three point heavy game and you kind of took over the shooting game and stuff like that. Looking, you know, looking at the league now, that's kind of the centerfold of a lot of offenses. So when oh, you man, see it would be, the evolution of the offensive game now, what do you what do you see? Right, it would be fun to play under because mm-hmm. um, the game the game is more it's more like how we played in the summertime compared to how we played in the league. That it's more free flowing, it's more player controlled. Um, when I look at the league in totality, it's more player controlled. I heard the other day, and you're here in Chicago where I'm at, uh, they're talking to John Paxson and Doc Foreman, the, the general manager and president of the organization, and they're saying how they have to, they're going to talk to Jimmy Butler this summer about what they plan on doing. So those type of approaches have somewhat changed where management is considering the players' thoughts of who they're going to bring in to play with a guy. Right. Well, when, when we were in, Michael might have had that type of power, Magic, maybe Isaiah, but it was it wasn't many players. Now I believe that every probably there's a player on every team that when manager makes a decision, they talk to the player. So that's that's progress to a degree and as far as players realizing their power within the game, but I would like us to realize our power both within the game mm-hmm. and outside of the game. You know, from when I look at how the game is played now, it would be fun to play because you have so much freedom to play. And you don't have the mind. You don't have to have the worry of an authoritarian behind you yelling about plays like a Don Nelson. So it's a different, it's a different structure, man. So it's cool. I love, I love what I see going on. I'm, I'm training, I'm training young folks 
been in the gym the last 10 days, actually, with my high schoolers, getting them to realize the importance of student athleticism. Right. And, you know, the school is open every day, <laughs> so why shouldn't the gym be? So we have to we have to make ourselves available to be able to do some of the, the mentoring that needs to be done, but also just to be there to listen sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, speaking of uh, your your style of play back when you were in the league, um, you mm-hmm. have a lot of experience with the legendary coach and uh, now Knicks president Phil Jackson and uh, right. the Hall of Famer Tex winner who you worked with um, plenty of times, which right. means in right. turn – you've had a lot of experience with the notorious triangle offense that has kind of been catching the headlines right. over uh, some recent months with the Knicks controversy and a little bit of disarray right. around Phil and the system this season. What are your thoughts yeah. on uh, the Knicks trying to make this system work in a day and age where it seemed almost, you know, obsolete? Right. And, you know, the biggest thing with the system is that and when, I, when the Knicks um, hired Derek Fisher, mm-hmm. um, I was – part of their D-League situation. And the implementation of the triangle has to be the same. And, you know, Phil is more in the management now. He hasn't had as much on-court time. So them trying to implement the system without somebody that intimately knows what that implementation is going to be is going to be tough. So, mm-hmm. you know, unless Phil comes back to the bench or – Hire somebody like Craig Hodges. <laughs> it's going to be tough, even to like in Chicago. I'm looking at what uh, Fred is trying to do and what Paxton were talking about. You know, you look at Golden State, you look at San Antonio, they've stolen parts of the system and they only need a couple parts for it to work. So, when I look at what San Antonio does, what they're doing, they do the dribble entry of the triangle. Uh, Golden State is using the space and principles of the triangle. So there's, there's the triangle is happening, but they're using it in different portions of it. And that's why I laugh when I look at it and I say, man, you can implement this system with any team in the league and make them a playoff contender right off the bat. But the bottom line is having someone that understands Soon as you come into training camp, what's the very first drill you're doing? Because that very first drill lends itself to winning the ring at the end of the season. So we got to be on point right away. Do you think a lot of that has to stem with like the personnel of the team and the players being like more open? You know, to the and and, and that and that's the thing. That's the beautiful part of the system that people don't understand. It it it's compatible to whatever complement of players you have. Okay. It really is. Then that you know people have made so much ado about. Well, you can't do it without Michael or without a Shaq or without a Kobe. And I'm just the opposite. I'm just the opposite. I feel like it's the greatest system going when you have marginal players. So if a player goes down from injury who's a superstar player, the system will continue to work. (laughs) Because now you can operate through a different area of the court. You can operate through a different size player as opposed to maybe it's your two guard or maybe it's your center that went down. Now you can operate with your small forward and power forward in situations. So, you know, it's just people not having a, a thorough understanding of it and that they don't know the value of it once it's implemented over a long haul. That mm-hmm. once it's implemented, you can bring in rookies and coaches won't have to teach the rookies because they'll watch the, what the players in front of them are doing 
And it's easy to pick up, man. It's it's just people don't people don't know what it is, and they're looking at it. Oh man, and Phil has made it. Phil has made it such a mythical type of thing that he's the Zen master. So people are looking at this thing like it's it's some type of religious order. <laughs> it's basketball, man. And that was part that was part one of the Craig Hodges interview. Be sure to catch part two on next week's episode. Now, even though it's been missing for a few weeks, we are back with everyone's favorite segment, Power Move of the Week. And Cole Ferguson is going to start us off. Okie dokie. So my power move. It's it's an interesting story, interesting headline. So um uh NBA talent agent part of ASM Sports, Christian Dawkins, who um, is an agent to players like Kyle Lowry, Christoph Sporzingis, Jeff Teague, and a couple others, was uh, found out um, through through some uh, unnamed sources and, and the NBA Players Association in an, uh, a kind of a memo that they released that said Christian Dawkins had used the credit card of an unnamed player to charge $42,000 in Uber rides between 2015 and 2016, which only a few of were authorized by the player. $42,000. They did the math on this one, and it said in that year, the amount of miles that it takes for $42,000 is enough to take you from New York to New Delhi, India, three times. Now, it doesn't say which uh, which NBA player that he did this to, but... It's it's kind of it's kind of a shady move, kind of an illegal power move, <laughs> but a power move nonetheless. This guy finagled, finessed his way into forty two thousand dollars off of the elite top level NBA players for what? Uber rides. Power move. You know, Cole, when you say that, so forty thousand dollars, right? The average Uber ride, let's say, like when you compare like the airport trips, that could be like forty. And then like the just night on the town, maybe five dollar trips, like twenty dollars on average of those trips. That's still two thousand one hundred Ubers over the course of seven hundred days, maybe. The SB Nation did the math, and it said that they they calculated the average price of an Uber ride, and it said that he on average took five point five rides a day, racking up one hundred twenty five dollars per day over the course of a year that he was doing this. Respect. Respect. That's power move. Definite power move from Christian Dawkins was his name? Christian Dawkins. Christian Dawkins. We'd love to have him on the show, Christian. If you'd love to uh, pay for our Uber rides, you know, wherever we go out, we'd uh, we'd love that. So, cool for that. Also, another – so my power move is also money-related. Also NBA-related. And um, so uh, Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball, the Ball family, we all have heard about their their craziness and their skill – um, LeVar, or Lonzo's the son, right? Yeah, Lonzo Lonzo's Ball. Son, yeah. Lonzo Ball was not, he got denied from all, you know, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, all three of the big brand names for, you know, both for sneakers and for just, you know, being sponsors. Because his dad's psycho. And so this man, after getting denied by all three of them, went out and created their own brand. What is it? The Ball, Big Baller, big brand. baller brand. And then unveiled a, a shoe line on Thursday afternoon. Where the debut pair is going to be $495, and the slider pairs are going to be $220 a pair. 
So the power move is this man got denied from every single you know major you know Jordan, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, and so we went out and made his own brand and then made a shoe that's more than any of the other brand. Like like Steph Curry, two time MVP, or MVP, his shoes are one twenty, and like a jo- nice Jordan pairs, like the nice ones are like two hundred dollars. But this guy's thinking he's gonna be able to sell his for five hundred dollars. Power move from Lavar and Lonzo Ball. Um, they're not even the coolest looking shoes. I'm looking oh, at them right oh, now. Okay, okay. I would not pay $500 for them, but I think they're pretty slick shoes. They got the, the black like leather almost thing going. I, I'm, I'm down with the shoes. I don't have the $500 to drop on these you know big baller brand shoes, but they're pretty cool. They're but pretty if cool. the Ball family wants to send us a pair, we can review them on the show. We will, yeah. Size 11 and a half. If you want, if you want them, but um, so that's my power move by the Ball family. Connor, let's wrap this up. All right, my power move of the week is not related to anything NBA, NHL, nothing we've talked about so far on the show today. But I'm talking MLB baseball and the Yankees specifically. Don't usually like to talk about the Yankees because they tend to piss me off as a sports fan. But Aaron Judge is just the power move of the week. Basically, the power move of the MLB season so far. Aaron Judge, for those of you who don't know, he is the uh, right fielder for the New York Yankees. He wears number 99 on his back, is 6'7", 282 pounds, and 25 years old. My power move is solely the fact that he is succeeding in the MLB with the body type of an offensive lineman and the stature, or Cam Newton. And the stature of a power forward in the NBA. But also, the power move is how he's handling himself, not just being in the MLB. He leads the MLB as of right now in home runs with 13. And of his 29 hits and his 88 at-bats, he's had 28 runs scored, which means that all but one of his hits has resulted in a run. That's just a power move. The man is 6'7 and getting the job done. And even this week, during batting practice, he hit a home run so far and so hard that he broke a TV in a suite in Yankee Stadium. That's my That's power that, move yeah. of the week. The power move alone should just be the breaking the TV in Yankee Stadium because that TV is probably worth more than my life, honestly, being in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> so right. that's our show for the week. Um, you know, we got some cool stuff. You know, again, thank you to Craig Hodges for coming on the show. Any other guests, you know, be sure to email us. Roger Goodell, anyone? Uh, <laughs> Roger Goodell. Cam Newton. Um, anyone? Deshaun Watson, Gainesville brother. But, uh, yeah. you know, so... We got big things coming up in the future where we've relocated into our, um, our, our, our watering hole for the summer, the uh, Unsportsmanlike Conduct Studios, uh, where we'll be cranking out some content, getting some stuff pumping out for you, um, kind of overhauling the Unsportsmanlike Conduct brand here. So be on the lookout for some big, big things coming your way. Exciting, you know, videos, uh, exciting things, giveaways. You know, we we'll, we'll, we got a lot of stuff going on. Connor, I think you had something that uh, we actually forgot about. Yeah, you know, before the show, pre-production, Cole McLean and I are just discussing throwing around some stats like we normally do because we are numbers we're, guys. We're sports and, guys. Yeah, we're sports guys. You know, Cole saw. The Braves play at SunTrust Park this week. I'm seeing the Braves play this weekend at SunTrust Park. And we were discussing a possible MVP candidacy. And so we decided that on tonight we should start a movement with Unsportsmanlike Conduct, get some backing out there. So if we could have a little music here. I would like to announce the candidacy 
for Freddie Freeman for MVP. From this point on, Unsportsmanlike Conduct will be sponsoring the hashtag Freddie for MVP campaign. You might see us with t-shirts, maybe some rally towels. We'll be supporting Freddie Freeman as his quest to get an MVP back to Atlanta. His Wikipedia page, Frederick Charles Freddie Freeman, American-Canadian professional baseball first baseman for the Atlanta Braves in the Major League Baseball. Damn. That's an MVP. We'd like to chalk right up a 2017 NL MVP tag on his Wikipedia page right now on Sportsmanlike Conduct is starting the movement. It's starting here. You're witnessing the seed of the future of the Major League Baseball. Do you hear this? This is history right now. Join the movement or get the heck off because we are going places, folks. Freddie, if you're out there, we're supporting you. You're winning this MVP. You're talented. First baseman getting this MVP because of us on Sportsmanlike Conduct. It's the seed. It's the movement. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Chop on, Cole. The Braves have not had an MVP since 99. That was good old Chipper Jones. Maybe you've heard of him. And Freddie's doing just as good as he was in 99. Remember when there was that snowstorm in Atlanta and Chipper Jones pulled up on his four-wheeler and rescued Freddie Freeman from traffic? Metaphorically passing the baton for MVP from 1999. This is a movement! Passing the bat on to <laughs> Freddie Freeman. Get it. Baseball. Sports guys. All right, so that's the Amir Show. You know, you continue to follow us on Twitter, uh, iTunes, not Instagram. Not Instagram. And, yeah, so this has been McLean Baxley. Cole Ferguson. Connor Beeler. Hashtag this, ready for MVP. And this has been Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Have a great week. Happy Cinco de Mayo.